So we're going to think about taste tonight, get you thinking about what the Bible teaches on taste. It's our fourth sense. We've been looking at a biblical perspective on senses. I found I've got more out of it than perhaps I expected as I started. I don't know if it's the case with you. I hope so. As we've done touch and uh, as we've done smell and then we had last week on sight and this evening we moved to taste. Then next week we have Wes preaching so there'll be a gap in the series and I thought the last one on hearing might uh, fit well, fall well on a camp Sunday so we shall probably, God willing, finish the series on a camp Sunday. But this evening, taste. Have a think. What in the Bible is to do with Taste. Let's just have a, a few um, comments or words or references or phrases just to get us all thinking. It can be ones that may have been read or haven't been read. Any, anything where taste and the Bible sort of are connected? Thank you. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah, the manner incident. couple of others. Right, thank you. Salt, not losing its savour. Get one more. The idea is just to get us all thinking, really. Remembering the bitter gall. Ah, hmm, remembering the bitter gall. So some of those may come out, others may not. Um, I'm going to pick out four uh, aspects of biblical teaching which relate to taste. So, in a, in a way, you've got four courses this evening. Four courses, four course meal this evening. And the first phrase, summing up the first part, is taste and see. So we had that repeated for us. Taste and see. We're going to have a few references. If you see, I'm not necessarily going to do all of these, but you'll see I've got quite a few yellow references there. Um, but on the, on the um, uh, PowerPoint, I've put uh, perhaps the most prominent reference for each of the four points. Um, taste is used in relation to experience and experiencing for yourself, personal experience. So is, the food is not left on the plate being stared at. Instead, it's being eaten, sampled, tasted. We talk about, don't we, taster days, or you have taster trays in the supermarket where you can take one, or we have taster sessions you can, you can sample it, you can enjoy it, you can experience it, you can chew on it. A wine connoisseur, which I am not, but a wine connoisseur is offered the glass beforehand and tastes, gets the flavour of the wine and comments on it. They, have, they taste, they taste. And the psalm we read, the second of the psalms we read, Psalm 34 invites us to taste personally and experience. And it does so in verse 8 of Psalm 34. We had it referred to. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. It's the verse that was being put on before the service. Those who were here a little bit earlier. A very apt verse for this evening. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And the psalm is one, that psalm is one of experience. In the psalm, uh, 
David is, is praising God for hearing him in his need. He wants God glorified because God has heard him in his, heard his prayer and answered him. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. I love the way he puts it in verse 6. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The character of God is to be mindful. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and he hears toward their cry. Even to the broken hearted, this lovely verse, verse 18, the Lord is near to the broken hearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So he's experienced God's kindness and many others have. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him, him out of them all. So it's a, a psalm of somebody who's experienced God's help. That doesn't mean all the troubles are immediately switched off, there's some difficulties to work through, but he's known God helping him, hearing his prayer, faithful through his troubles. And as he's experienced that, he wants others to experience that. So he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. He passes it on with enthusiasm. Sometimes when you're about unsure about whether something's going to taste nice or not, maybe you look to somebody else and you, you see if they put it in their mouth first and you look at their expressions and, and if it's not too bad, well, you feel a confidence then to, to take it yourself. And it's as if this person is saying, I have tasted of, of God's help in my life and it's good. You do the same. Experience God's help and God's goodness. And in the New Testament, uh, we have something a little similar. In fact, we did look at it at a communion service not so long ago, where this theme is picked up in 1 Peter 2 and verse 3. And it talks about uh, feeding on the pure spiritual milk, uh, the milk of the word. We think of it growing up in that. And he adds in verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So here God's goodness, tasting the Lord is good, is linked with the gospel. The gospel is good. What comes through what Jesus has done and the way it meets our needs so regularly is good. And we've tasted that and experienced that. And we need to keep tasting that and keep experiencing that. God's goodness, his love, the provision of the gospel for our need, forgiveness, life through Jesus, knowing him. It is good. It is the gospel. And if you've never fed on the gospel, then this evening is really saying, don't leave the gospel on the plate. Taste it. Don't leave the goodness of God just being stared at. Experience it for yourself. Don't say, it's not for me. I think I'll pass on that, thank you very much. And Let's have a different dish. You need the goodness of God 
in your life. You need the gospel. You need to keep drinking of the gospel. You need to take it in. We need to taste again and again of the goodness of God, of his help, of the gospel that meets our desperate needs. In your present situation, taste and see that the Lord is good. Experience his goodness as you come to him. Experience the gospel forgiveness that you need. Taste and see, the theme of experience. A second, our second course, and they're, yeah, they're coming in from different angles here really, is tasting sweet. Tasting sweet. Uh, most of us like sweet things. And some especially, and, and we say, I've got a sweet tooth. Um, it's pleasurable. Gives you a bit of zip. Um, Jonathan's eyes lit up when he had some honey. He was sort of revived, it says, in one of the Old Testament accounts. And it may be different for you. Maybe a banoffee pie that you loved, a chocolate fountain. It may be cookies. Um, it may be that when we have one of these sort of times with puddings afterwards, you look along and you could think, oh, I could have a little bit of each one of those. They all look so nice. Sweet things. We, we like sweet things and the bible draws on on that theme and it's used of of god's word that god's word is sweet so we read psalm 19 and i'll pick out verse 10 talking of god's word more to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. So God's word is tasty and sweet and enjoyable and reviving and lights up the eyes. The great uh, long psalm on, on God's word, Psalm 119. Just pick out one verse from it, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Even Ezekiel finds out at the start of Ezekiel in chapter 3. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. So God's word is tasty, is sweet, is pleasant. As we hear of his promises, as we have his character revealed, as we're pointed to his son, as we get given guidance for life it's good it's good it's good and and proverbs picks up on this the the words of others are a a good and sweet thing proverbs 16 16 24 gracious words are like a honeycomb sweetness to the soul and health to the body or the words of the wise in proverbs 24 13 My son, eat honey, for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. So the the good sayings of others, the wise sayings of others, true teaching is sweet, desirable, pleasant. It's used of, of knowing Jesus. The, the greatest sweetness, if you like, of the Bible is to know more about Jesus. 
And in the Song of Solomon, you have this song and the way in which the, um, the bride speaks of her beloved. We see as pointing forward to how the church feels about Christ. And in Song of Solomon 2, verse 3, as an apple tree among the thor- trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. The old hymn goes, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. And we think of his character. And we think of his actions. We think of his teaching and we think of his cross and we think of his influence in our lives and it's sweet, it's delightful, it's pleasurable, it's tasty. There's no greater joy than knowing about Jesus. Well, sweet stuff is often moorish, isn't it? I mean, it's a bit of a trouble sometimes in life. But these things should be moorish to us. Do you prize these things? God's word, God's wisdom, teaching of God's son. Do you look forward to these things? Maybe you're one of these people head out for a meal and from the start your mind is on the desserts. You've got them in mind. You look at Is it a bit like that when you're coming on a Sunday or you're opening a Bible in the morning for your reading and you're thinking, yeah, this is, this is dessert section. You know, I'm, I'm in for sweetness. Tasting sweet. Making the most of it. An opportunity to hear these things, to have these things. Well, I've got good news for you because... You might have to diet on sweet things naturally, but you don't have to calorie count on these things. You don't have to say, well, I better not have more than three verses today. That's my limit. There's no calorie count to the sweet things of the Bible. You can, you can take them in and you can have plenty and the seconds and the seconds and the seconds and you don't have to hold back. Are you living, um, can I say, undernourished as a Christian? I don't know if you ever have this experience. Perhaps it's just the way my body works. But sometimes, um, if, uh, if perhaps during the morning, particularly later in the morning, if, it's been a, a, if I've been doing a lot of exercise, sometimes I just feel a little bit weak and wilting. And for, for me, it doesn't often happen so much now, but it has done over the times. For me, I just know I am lacking in sugar. I just feel it. And uh, I have something that's quite sweet and, and, and sugary. And, uh, you know, in half an hour I'm, I'm picking up and I can face life again. And maybe you have something experience like that. Well, are you wilting in your Christian life? Things are not really going strong. Things haven't really got much energy. There's not much passion. What do, you need? do you need the sweetness of the word? and of the Saviour to have its reviving effect to lighten your eyes like it did with Jonathan when he had that honey. So tasting sweet. Uh, Another angle on this, 
is tasteless, or tasting nothing, I suppose we could say, tasteless. The Bible sometimes refers to things being tasteless. Can you think of anything that's naturally, or seems to be tasteless in your experience? Cracker bread, maybe, I don't know if you find that. Celery, maybe you love celery, it's not my favourite food. Maybe you can think of other things that you... You know, Rivita, I don't know quite what it is, but it's something that just doesn't feel as though it's got much taste. Well, Job, Job even comments about this in, in what he says, Job 6. Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the juice of the mallow? My appetite refuses to touch them. They are as food that is loathsome to me. Things that are are tasteless. And Jesus uses this imagery, this language, to to challenge Christians. Saying really that Christians should have a good flavour, a taste about their lives. So we, we read of it in that little section in Matthew 5. And it was, uh, somebody mentioned it too. So this is after the, the great passage of the sort of Christian disposition and attitude shown in the Beatitudes. And it's before all that comes in the, the, the teaching on the, the, in the Sermon on the Mount about God's commandments in our hearts, about love for enemies, about not being materialistic, about not worrying, not judging, all these different things. And here it says, you are the salt of the earth, but if... Salt has lost its taste. How shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Keep your taste. Keep your distinctive. Be flavoured like my disciples. It comes up again in Mark 9. I remember when we are going through Mark, speaking from Mark 9, which culminates. There's some teaching on... Uh, not being too competitive, not being narrow-minded and tribal, uh, and not tempting and testing little ones to sin, the need for sacrifice. So some of these aspects of discipleship, and Jesus brings it to conclusion here in verse 50 of chapter uh, 9. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? We need to have a Christian flavour about us. We need to, we don't want to be like cracker bread. We want to be distinctive and flavoursome and have a nice flavour. It's also true in the way we speak to those who are, are not believers. Colossians picks up this in Colossians 4 and verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer each person. Well, I remember when I was at Bible college, I found the food very good, but um, we had um, some others that were a part of the uh, student group um, who were more from the East. Um, uh, one of them was from India, and he was called Raj, a nice brother, and uh, some were from Burma, or called Myanmar now, and uh, I can't remember if there were any Koreans there as well, but they had on their table some spices, and whatever was served up 
For them, English food was bland. So the spices, you know, went on top because what they see was, was tasteless and they needed to make it taste. Well, it's not just to the Indian palate, if you like, that some things can be tasteless. The Lord Jesus talks about individuals being tasteless. It's a bit similar, isn't it, to to the revelation. It's not quite the same, but it's almost to the church at Laodicea, where they were lukewarm. Verse 15, Revelation 3, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jesus wants taste and he wants life and he wants distinctiveness. So there's a challenge in this third one for us, isn't there? Are we tasteless Christians or is there a, is God's grace working through us? in our attitudes and it's sort of sensed by others around us as he works through us. Uh, the last one is tasting bitter. So this is very different to gain. Different, but I think you'll find it wonderful by the end. So some things have a, a bitter taste, don't they? And uh, we don't want to taste them. In the sad book of Lamentations, this is what I think was being referred to earlier, Lamentations 3, he describes his experience, what he's going through as, he has filled me with bitterness, he has sated me with wormwood, he has made my teeth grind on gravel. That sort of bitter experience. Um, And for... It's true with medicine, isn't it? Medicine often seems to be distasteful and bitter. Not so many children out this evening, but maybe the children. Uh, you don't always like medicine. I remember when I was young, there were, there were two medicines I could have when I, I had a cough. There was Tixilix, and there was, I think, well, there's two others, I think, Benelin and Actifed. And I seem to remember the Tixilix was lovely. It was sweet. I didn't mind tasting that. But the Actifed or the Benelin, I really didn't want those. I had to have them sometimes, but they were bitter tasting. And sometimes the things people go through are, are sort of bitter tasting. You don't you won't want to. You don't, it's not what you're looking for. You just have to sort of go through with it. And maybe that's true of us in some ways, but on this last point, I just want us to think about the bitterness that Jesus experienced. That's what I want to just finish on, the bitterness that Jesus experienced. And it takes me to Gethsemane, where Jesus, facing the cross, says this, Matthew twenty-seven thirty-seven. must be Matthew 26, 37. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. It's too bitter. I don't want to drink it. 
Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And it gets even more descriptive when we come to Hebrews 2 and verse 9. When it's put like this of Jesus, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. How bitter was that? He tasted death. He tasted death. Experienced death. Amazing that the Son of God should experience and and taste and choose to taste the experience of death. And it says he did so for others so that by the grace of God he might taste death for, for all sorts of people, for all believers, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And so what is then the result of that for us if we're believers, for those who've believed, for those who've turned to Christ, for those who've repented. Well, in John 8, you, you get this. They're quoting Jesus in verse 52. And it says there, he'd said in verse 51, Truly, truly, I say unto you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And they've quoted it then in verse 52. If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Well, does that mean that believers don't actually physically die? Of course not. We, we, know, we know that's the case. Well, what does it mean? It means that the, the full bitterness of death is not experienced by the believer. He, he won't taste death. She won't taste death. The, the, the separation from God that it would normally bring, the wrath of God that it would normally bring, the, the banishment, uh, the consequences of our actions, all that is contained, if you like, in that, that cup of death is not tasted. It's as if it just touches our lips, but we don't drink it. He tastes death for everyone, so that the believers don't taste death. As Jesus has tasted it instead. It's a bit like, um, perhaps you've seen some of these sort of spy films or, or, the, or the like, or the programmes. Um, and, um, you know, in the, in the intrigue, you've got a, a poisoned glass and a normal glass. And they, you know, they don't put a cyanide in one of the glass and... And, uh, and the hero of the film usually perceives what the villain is trying to do and at some point the glasses get switched round and maybe the villain drinks their own poisonous glass so that um, they take the consequences of it instead. You've seen the sort of film you can imagine. Well, it's as if Jesus does that, but the other way round. And he deliberately swaps the, the poisonous one to himself so that believers are spared and he tastes death 
for everyone. He experiences the wrath of God, the banishment, the forsakenness, the loneliness, the separation. Experiences it all himself so that instead believers will not taste that and be exempt from it. A wonderful thought, isn't it? Jesus tasting death for everyone so that believers shall not taste the full consequences of that bitter cup themselves. So we've had four courses. I think each one is worth a a prayerful response. So I'm just going to take a a minute or two at the end. I should just sort of state the, the section, if you like, and just leave you for... 20, 20, 30 seconds or something to, to pray in response to that section on your own. Then we go on to the next one, just to allow us a personal response before the Lord to the things we've been thinking of this evening. So taste and see and the theme of experiencing God's goodness and the gospel. Taste in sweet things, thinking of God's word, wisdom and the Lord Jesus Christ, a response to that. And the challenge of being tasteless as Christians and losing our flavour. Something to pray through. And tasting bitter things and especially thinking of Jesus and the very bitter cup that he was willing to drink on our behalf. Think and pray about that. Well, it is that um, last theme that we pick up in our closing song. We have sang it before here once at a communion service. You'll certainly know the tune. Um, in this first, yeah, it's in the first verse it's to the Green Sleeves tune. Um, it comes up in the first, so I'll read through the first verse. Through all our days, we sing the praise of Christ the resurrected, who, though divine, did not decline to be by men afflicted, pain, pain and suffering. He knew its taste, he bore its sting. Peace, peace has come to earth through Christ our King and Saviour. Let's stand to sing our last song.
we've been having this evening, uh, their different aspects of their encouragement and their challenge, but especially this final thought, which has pointed us to our wonderful Saviour and for what he was willing to do for us. We praise you for Jesus. Amen.